0: And
1: is sitting alone in your room. Come hear the music.
2: Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 17th, 2019. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appeared Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. Also, to let our listeners know that um, if you can support us over at Patreon.com, that's uh, BroadwayRadio.com slash Patreon or Patreon.com slash Radio. Either way, we'll get you there. You will get these episodes immediately as they come out, whether it be uh, this week on Broadway or today on Broadway. And uh, get it, you know, six, eight hours before everybody else gets it. Otherwise, the public feed will also have um, our shows at uh, com. So, Michael, as we look at life in the rearview mirror last (laughs) night... You had uh fifty four less cast albums that was part of the launching of the new website castalbumreviews.com. dot com Tell us how did it go
1: i am pleased to report it just it was a great success we uh i i was a little a little worried because about a week uh, ahead. We only had 33 tickets sold, but then last night it was really basically almost sold out, except for the severe, um, the the far side seats at, at 54. So that was great. The audience really seemed to love it. We had an incredible group. I Now that it's over, I'll, I'll tell you the, the whole program. We had Penny Fuller come out and sing, uh, start the show with two songs that she did not sing in a to the theater and the title song and then we brought out Marty Vidnovic to sing Lonely Room from Oklahoma and he was absolutely great. I I wanted to have something from Oklahoma because you know, several reasons. It was basically the first original cast album. And of course, it's back on Broadway now, or as I joked, a, a, you know, a, a facsimile of it anyway. Uh-huh. Uh, so I uh, I, and that that production that Martin was in with Christine Andreas and Larry Guitard in 1979 was was a really wonderful traditional production of the show so i wanted to bring marty back for that and his voice you know sounds basically the same same applies to everyone in the show really uh bill hutton the original joseph uh dream code came and sang two songs close every door and uh the finale any dream will do that was our finale and I mentioned to the audience, we actually used uh, we faded in the cast album recording of any dream 'll do halfway through Bill singing it, and then he he sang the end of it with the recording and I said, well, it really you know it it, it was made much easier for us to do that by the fact that Bill sings all of his songs in the same keys mm. that he sang them in in the early eighties so mm. he 's another phenomenon then the amazing Anita Gillette came out and sang. The Secret Service Makes Me Nervous from Mr. President, and she did Mira from Carnival, uh, a show she was originally in the chorus of, and then she uh, she wound up taking over or um – uh, i guess uh, uh, stand by and then and then maybe taking over for anna maria al Alberghetti. and sh- that 's such a beautiful song then she did o g from jimmy <laughs> a show you don't you don 't hear that much from usually and then she and penny uh sang a Gorgeous duet version of Once Upon a Time from All American, which is another show that Anita was in. Although again, she didn't get to sing that song. Uh, then we had Tyler Tyler Milliron uh, come and sing, make someone happy from Do Re Mi. Uh, I, he had sung that before. I had heard him do it in a in a show with Stephen Brinberg's Barbara Streisand show, and he just that song could have been written for him. He does such a beautiful job. With it. Then Marty Vitnovic came back and sang a little uh, melding, he called it, not a medley, of two songs right. from Baby, At Night She Comes Home to Me and With You. Then Penny came back and did her big 11 o'clock number, which she did sing in applause, One Halloween. And she and Anita did. Um, Ca- uh, the title song from cabaret because they both <clears throat> played that role on broadway after jill jill Haworth. and then we had um, young matthew Drinkwater come out and, and just really slay the audience with love can't happen from grand hotel and then he did a a melting of oh what a beautiful morning from oklahoma into epic three from hadestown and then uh, as i said before uh, Bill Hutton closed it out with any dream will do. So it was, it was a wonderful night. I, I, I really think the audience enjoyed it, and um, I, uh, they have such a, a great staff at feinstein's 54 below the 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 entire staff actually i i was remiss i i got a little flustered at the end because we were running a little long and i you know also i don't do these too often so i i i neglected to thank the the tech crew kj hardy and amanda um they just were fabulous we had a lot of uh video and photo and and audio cues in the show and they went just without a hitch. So I, I, I really thank them. and I, But I do have to mention, um, I have to tell a story on myself. I think a little corner of my uh, musical theater Buff card needs to be snipped away because I asked a trivia question, and uh, the answer I gave was was not wrong, but it was incomplete. So I'm sure probably Peter can can fill it out. Uh, uh, Josh Ellis, our friend, pointed out to me afterwards that uh, it was incomplete. What the question was, and actually I had asked this on. On our show, uh, on our podcast once, there are two songs from two musicals uh, in which Lauren Bacall did not appear, but her name is mentioned in the lyrics. What are they? And the, the two that I the answers that I had and that I heard the audience shout out were Baby. Uh, in the song, I Want It mm-hmm. All, she's mentioned. And then in Evita, in the mm-hmm. song, Rainbow High, she's mentioned. And so that's that's what I said, and that's what I heard from the audience. But then Josh Ellis said, there were three songs. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know it offhand, Peter? No, what? It's the obvious choice. Drop that name from Bells Are Ringing.
0: How funny, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then actually Josh said... I think there's a fourth musical oh. that that it was a London show that oh, yeah. I, I think never came to Broadway, and I don't remember what what uh-huh. he said. So anyway, i, I you know I, I it's kind of amazing. um. Sure. That Miss McCall, you know, I mean the level of her fame was I think maybe even higher than we realize
0: <laughs> but well, she was and, quite and an when you, icon When you also think of the fact that um, Bells Are Ringing was 1956 and, right. um, you know, and uh, Baby was 1983, you know, that's pretty good.
1: Yes, another good point. Anyway, it was a wonderful night and so um, I, I really thank everyone involved, it was really oh, and, and our musical director Pianist Michael Levine did a
0: stellar, oh, stellar job. Really, I really great. I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we should mention here because I, I, I don't know if you get a lot of emails to this effect, but I do. Um, people. Um, write in, call in uh, and say, I'm looking for the sheet music for and uh, they don't know where to go. And Michael Levine is the answer to that. Uh, he is um, the repository of uh, theater sheet music extraordinaire. Um, it, there's very little he doesn't have. And um, I do think that uh, it would be worthwhile to um Check him out uh, if you are looking for something. I'm going to look for his um, actual email address, and I'll bring it up a little later, but I don't want to um, stall us now while I'm looking. But anyway, uh, that will happen.
1: Yes, actually, his nickname is Sheets. As I know that, sheep. yeah, <laughs> right. And uh, I'm sure he's easily findable online, but yes, Peter can look that up. It's it's Michael LaVine,
0: L-A-V-I-N-E. right. right. Yeah. All
2: right, so that sounds very exciting. Michael, any thoughts of uh, Encore production maybe this spring or something like that?
0: Yeah,
1: the the <laughs> oh, I, I mean, not specifically, but but I had at least two people ask me for one after, so that's a good sign.
0: Okay, here's his email address, BroadwayMHL, I guess his middle initial is H, at AOL. So, yes, uh, that's okay. it, yeah. Broadway MHL at AOL. So if you have any cheap music uh, for anything, and just this week I got um, somebody asking, gee, I'm looking for some obscure uh, Schmidt and Jones songs. Where do I go? Well, that's where you go, Michael Levine. Yes,
1: and in fact, uh, uh, I was uh, exploring the idea of doing some kind of a concert version of uh, The Umbrellas of Cherbourg, Uh a musical with with music by uh, Michel Legrand and lyrics by Sheldon Harnick. Mm -hmm. And I actually called Sheldon directly, and he said, well, yes, you can have it, but I only have one copy, and you have to come and copy it. Mm -hmm. So I went and and got it, and I, I wanted to get it back. To him right away, so I went to a copier, but it was bound, so they had to unbind uh, it and yeah, copy yeah. it, and it wound up costing me like ninety dollars. Wow, but, but yeah, yeah. So I was I was not too happy about that, but I felt figured well, you know, I have to I have to get it. So I brought it back to Sheldon, and then I was talking to Michael uh, about it a few days later because uh, sure. you know with the idea, and he said, "Oh, I have that music." Sure. <laughs> Yeah. So there you go. That's an example of, I mean, cause that's pretty obscure. All right. No.
2: So, uh, exciting about the 54 loves cast albums, uh, successful evening. And we can continue to look at all the work over cast dot com, which is an ongoing thing as more and more cast albums come out. I guess, uh, Michael yes. and his crew will take care of that and let us know what they think of these things. And, and not only, uh, cast album reviews is not only great for the reviews of it, but for the ability for us to look up a specific cast album and and cross-check who was on it and all, all the other stuff and when it came out and tons of metadata, data about data. And uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's really wonderful. Congratulations on that. Oh,
1: thank you, you so much.
2: So this week we heard some really interesting news that uh, there's a film adaptation of Follies that's in the works. Uh, and so what had happened, I guess it was on Tuesday or so, no, was it Thursday, excuse me, on Thursday, um, there was a Hollywood reporter broke a story that said Follies was going to be made. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Hollywood reporter took the story down And then a few hours later, Hollywood Reporter put it back up and there was a statement from Sondheim. And uh, Sondheim said, over the years, there have been many attempts to bring follies to the screen, but not until Dominic Cook's brilliant production at the National Theatre of Great Britain did it seem like this could be a real movie. I'm more than delighted. I'm thrilled that it's finally going to happen. And um, Dominic Cook said, James Goldman's skillful book nods as much to the golden age of movie musicals as to Broadway, so it feels like a, like natural material to turn into a movie. So to, it, it really seems like we're going to get a follies. Are we excited about this?
0: Of course. Um, it, um, I, I have to cite uh, someone on all that chat uh, who um, is named Winters. I don't know if that's a pseudonym. I don't know if that's his surname or what. But I am terrible at casting. I never can think of who'd be good in any role. And um, this man, a woman, certainly came up with a terrific cast, which I'll tell you now. I think this would be a great uh, movie. Catherine Zeta-Jones is Phyllis. Michelle Williams is Sally. Cher is Carlotta. Bette Midler as Hattie. Fostella, either Queen Latifah or Bernadette Peters. Heidi... He'd like to see Leontine Price. Um, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> my God. But he also pointed out, can Olivia de Havilland come out of retirement to do it? Um, Solange Merrill Streep. Um, ben Patrick Wilson, uh, though he said you Jackman would be good, too. Buddy Nathan Lane, uh, he said with the right direction. And uh, Roscoe <laughs> Hal Linden. And for Dimitri Weissman. William Daniels. So this is uh, quite a cast. Uh, I, I don't know if we'll get anything as good as that. The, the criticism that's always made about a potential Follies movies is that the people who really lived through these times are long gone. Back in 1971 when the show was first produced, people like Ethel Barrymore Colt and um, you know, all the, um, um, Ethel Chate, et cetera, were the real things. And uh, they understood uh, that era of entertainment and what that era of entertainment uh, certainly delivered and that people today can't possibly do it. Um, while that is probably true, the fact is I don't think we should be denied a Follies movie just for that reason, and um, I am hoping that um, the brains behind this operation uh, who wants to do this movie can really get those performances out of these um, these younger, so to speak, uh, people, because um, we're really talking about almost 50 years later that um, Follies um, has uh, made its debut, so <clears> – <throat> Um, I hope for the best, and um, I hope I live to see it. So uh, this uh, this also was
2: announced that the studios behind it are Heyday Films and BBC Films. So obviously BBC is a household name that you know about. Heyday Films is uh, no slouch either. So Heyday Films has done such small movies as All of the Harry Potters. Wow. <laughs> so uh, I Am Legend with uh, with really uh, Will Smith and big, big names. Um, they did a movie called Gravity, which is a very big thing. They have Paddington, which is the cute, uh, the cute bear film and Paddington too. And so what I'm getting at is that this wasn't just uh, an announcement of, you know, a studio that might try mm-hmm. to make this film. They, these are serious. I mean, Heyday Films and BBC are very serious. So I'm assuming when they announce something, it's going to happen sooner than later. And uh, who knows if it's going to um, pick up the, the national theater cast or if they're going to get stars in it. But, you know, they could go either way. These are big enough studios that they could either promote a film with West End stars to much success. Or they could, you know, get on the phone with uh, the, big, um, the big Hollywood stars and get them into these productions. So I think this is very exciting.
0: Well, yes, Um, and of course a few years ago we heard about a remake of a Sondheim property, the one he did with Anthony Perkins, The Last of Sheila, and uh, that never happened, Um, or at least it hasn't happened, and um, I'm I'm not necessarily sorry because the original – is uh, such an extraordinary uh, picture it, it is the best murder mystery I have ever seen in any way shape or form mm. and uh, whether or not it would um, be helped by a remake um, I don't know because I like the original cast quite quite well but again you know that was announced and I, uh, uh, but then never happened so um, I think there are so many movies announced that don't happen even as many as Broadway musicals that are announced that don't happen so uh, we shall see what we shall see
1: well, I, uh, I think there are two issues with making a movie of follies now, uh, the, the, the one that James alluded to or, uh, and, and Peter alluded to, the fact that we're now so, so far away from those days in terms of style that it can be harder to recreate. But also, I think um, more specifically, I think it has to be set. Absolutely has to be set around 1970 because mm-hmm. of the ages. Sure. And then if you do that, uh, that I think you have to. But then the question is, well, why are we making a movie about people in 1970, looking back at the the 20s and the 30s and the 40s? Uh, I think, and somehow that seems to be more of an issue in a film than uh, than on stage for some reason. But that said, I, I you know, if they can do a an excellent film of Follies. I'll, I'll be one of the first to buy a ticket. I do wonder – I'm a little confused, James, especially since um, Sondheim's statement was very positive. Why do you suppose that the report was was taken down and then put back
2: mm-hmm. up? Uh, I was talking to Ashley Steves about this, and I bet you that there was some sort of embargo in place. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, and, yeah. and Hollywood Reporter accidentally broke the embargo, and that's why this was a – had had a false start and and you know everybody else was playing catch up after this got this got announced and you 're still seeing you know <laughs> major outlets like the varieties uh still reporting on this days later because they were caught unawares uh, of this of this thing. I bet you that 's what happened because it didn 't yeah. seem like it was You know, um, a Thursday afternoon was the appropriate time to Mm. make this type Mm -hmm. of announcement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, you're probably probably right. Yes. This week on Broadway is being sponsored by Mac Weldon. Mac Weldon is a company that sells high-quality men's basics for clothing and every day, everywhere, at a great price. From head to toe, Mac Weldon has you covered in comfort from underwear to socks to tops to bottoms. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, shirts, socks, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they will still refund you, no questions asked. On a personal note, I've been wearing the, my Mac Weldon stuff for about six weeks now. I love the Intrepid Long Sleeve Polo. I've got a bunch of those in all different colors they are so comfortable and even better is my everyday extended cruise socks the socks are so soft and make your field feel great all day long broadway radio listeners can get 20 percent off your first order visit macweldon.com and enter the promo code broadway radio that's macweldon m-a-c-k-w-e-l-d-o-n.com and enter the promo code broadway radio Mac Weldon offers free shipping on orders over $50 and free returns always. So, Peter, you got over to The Inheritance, a two-parter that happens over the course of a day. A new play by Matthew Lopez, directed by Stephen Daldry. So tell us about The Inheritance.
0: Yes, uh, there's The Inheritance Part 1 and there's The Inheritance Part 2. And um, I I wonder, (laughs) could he have chosen... Um, some names rather than just those namby-pamby part one, part two. I mean, Angels in America, um, Millennium Approaches, Perestroika. Those are so intriguing um, as titles. So I would think that Matthew Lopez would want to give his separate plays titles too, but part one and part two it is. Um, We're in an age where a lot of playwrights uh, write 90-minute plays. And I remember some wag once saying the reason they do it is because they kind of come up with a good curtain line to end a first act, um, which may or may not be true. Um, Matthew Lopez does not have that problem in The Inheritance, and he has to do it six times because, in essence, um, each of the uh, parts – is essentially a three-act play. There's a big intermission, then there's a smaller intermission. He refers to them in the script as scene one, scene two, scene three, but they play like acts because this is a long event. This is, um, the first one is three hours and 15 minutes, and you know that rule that uh, second acts really should be shorter? It is, three hours and 10 minutes. Um, (laughs) So you're in the theater for a long, long time, and yet you won't feel that you're in the theater for a long, long time because this is such an engrossing uh, experience. Uh, For one thing, I have to say that when I talk about part one and part two, I have to say that the one that really packed the wall up for me was the end of the uh, first part. Now, um, I don't want to give too much away, but what I will say is that this play is the grandson or the son of Angels in America. And that's why I mentioned Angels a little earlier. And that's because it does deal with the AIDS crisis. However, it's not much of a crisis in uh, 2017 um, and 2018, which uh, much of the play takes place. It goes back to 2015, actually. Uh, But we are dealing with a generation of young gay men who weren't around in the 80s when this was really uh, devastating uh, our community and uh, their community. So this is what the play is really about. The fact that, um, you're contrasting what so many people experienced in the eighties and what so many people are not experiencing now. And that the current generation of gays as much as, even if they do historical research, even if they read everything that was published around that time, um, uh, even if they watch movies like long time companion, which by the way, um, the inheritance uses a scene that's very close to long time companion. um, Whatever the case may be, it it really isn't the same as being there, of course. And this play does a very good job, an extraordinary job, actually, of um, making you realize what was going on back then. So that's the real power of it. However... It also deals with a number of other subjects. Um, it certainly deals with relationships um, that start and stop and may start again. It also deals with um, an older man and a younger man uh, who who bond and have what seems to be a solid relationship. And the inheritance um, has two meanings because one of it has to do with the fact that there is a house that um, somebody – should be inheriting and may not be inheriting, and um, also the inheritance of the um, the AIDS um, crisis that uh, that it is being passed on as information but only as information and not um, with the the reality of it now um, it's done on a bare stage that's um, a platform that comes uh, that rises up and down and set designer Bob Crowley knows he's smart enough and of course with seven Tony Awards, uh, he's no dummy um, that uh, when you have no scenery you have a black wall so that people will stand out um, and uh, and they really do and speaking of standouts my, uh, what a cast we have here, I mean it's, it's tremendously effective one of the um, characters is Toby Darling and he's played by Andrew Burnap wonderfully he's a guy who's written um, a young adult novel, much in the vein of Tim Federley's novel. I don't know if you know Tim Federley's novels, but if you don't, you really should, even if you're not a young adult. He's such a wonderful writer, and um, it really is trailblazing stuff that he has uh, written in his time. So anyway, um, Toby has written a um, a, a novel of that scope, and now it's being encouraged to be turned into a play. So uh, that's something that looks like it's going to happen. So um, Samuel H. Levine plays Adam, a young man who thinks he'd be really good in this play. And we'll see if he gets the part. We'll see how he gets the part. And we'll see what he uh, does with the part. And we'll also see, for that matter, um, how he um, reacts to Toby as time goes on I'm uh, being purposely oblique. Now, Samuel A. Stavine also plays Leo. Leo is um, a rent boy. And um, there is a point where uh, Toby um, hires him. And one of the things that intrigues him is that he looks so much like Adam because he is attracted to Adam and obviously, uh, <laughs> he does look like uh, Adam Because it's played by the same actor And um, and they have quite a relationship as well So also in the mix is Eric Glass Wonderfully played by Kyle Solar, And Eric um, is the one who has the relationship With the uh, older man Wonderfully played by Henry Wilcox um, I'm sorry, Henry Wilcox is the character John Benjamin Hickey Is the um, actor who plays him Now he is coming off uh, the death of a, of a long-time partner They've been together for 36 years And um, And so he's uh, quite uh, devastated by that. Now, um, (laughs) one of the um, amazing things, and God bless um, the press people for sending out the script, I actually um, counted, well, I had my computer counted, um, the number of words that John Benjamin Hickey uh, has in his speech. And it's 1,755 words interrupted once by two words by the Eric Glass character, uh, where he's talking about What AIDS was like in the 80s. So finishing in second place, but very closely behind at 1435 words is Lois Smith. Now, Lois Smith, who is, um, I hate to be indelicate about this, but um, uh, she's substantially older, let's say, than the character she's playing, because the script indicates the character is in her 70s. And Lois Smith um, is past that now. You'd never know it, especially because she has 1,435 words that she has to do that's interrupted a few times, um, talking about her experiences with her son, uh, that who was um, gay, uh, though she thought he was, the euphemism that so many use, confused. So, um, but she had to come to terms with the fact that he wasn't confused at all. What he was was gay and uh, the ramifications of that. She comes in very late in the show. But uh, not that this play needs a pick-me-up, but she does uh, pick up the uh, proceedings amazingly because she's the only woman in the show. And um, the contrast is really something to see so many of these young men listening to her, to what she has to say, and uh, experiences they didn't have. What I haven't mentioned is that um, the play is inspired by, not adapted um, from, but inspired by, uh, EM Foster's Howard end and Foster actually appears in the in the play as um sort of like the leader of the chorus cuz there are a lot of chorus members on that stage um huddled around that platform and um so if, if you didn't know <laughs> that this was EM Foster um you might not guess it because everybody calls him Morgan and Morgan is um the one who um Takes us through this journey, and um, so E. M. Foster—it's his middle name, Morgan. So, uh, so he has a lot to say. So, there's a lot, you know. As long as it is, and it is, it would be longer <laughs> if you didn't have um, these various chorus members and Morgan uh summing things up now and then they they certainly um have little paragraphs of information that uh take you from one point to another so uh I will also say that um, this is a show where you don't have to buy tickets for both parts uh you can buy them individually and I would have to say and um I, I, I hate to put it this way but uh, the first one is superior to the second so um, tickets are not cheap of course uh, for any show I mean whenever somebody says to me I got cheap seats to whatever I always say you didn't get cheap seats you got discount tickets there is a difference and um, regular rock seats we're not talking um, premium are 198 so um, if you uh, really cannot afford to go to both Part one will suffice. It's It seems to be a play in itself. Yes, you'll miss Lois Smith, and that's too bad. But, um, but nevertheless, uh, part one really has uh, a bit more power than part two, um, especially that first act ending in uh, part one, which um, I really think everybody should see. But uh, whatever the case may be, the inheritance with so many debuts here is uh, going to make a lot of um, – names for a lot of people in this cast, uh, some of which I mentioned, and um, I do think it is as close to a must-see event as Broadway ever gets, and we'll see uh, if the public responds. Uh, So many times, these shows with two parts have a real problem selling themselves, because people think they have to see the two parts, or with... um, With the Norman Conquest with three parts, you know, both productions uh, suffered because a lot of people felt, well, I don't want to see just one. If I'm going to see them all or I'm just going to see none. So um, I I think with this one, at least part one should be seen.
2: This episode of This Week on Broadway is brought to you by ShowTickets.com. ShowTickets is your go-to source for the best deals on Broadway and off-Broadway shows, New York City tours, and more. Right now, you can save over 40% on tickets to see Frozen, 35% on Oklahoma, 25% on Waitress. Plus, check out our blog for exclusive interview content for the stars and creators of Broadway's latest and greatest, as well as dining guides, itineraries, theater news, and more. Showtickets.com has everything you need to make your next trip to New York City one to remember at prices you'll love. What are you waiting for? Check us out today. Showtickets.com. Michael, you got over to Tina, the Tina Turner musical. At the Lunt, uh, Peter talked about it last week. What was your thoughts on Tina?
1: I don't have much to add. I I'm not surprised that I found Adrian Warren absolutely spectacular in the title role. She I, I, she more than lived up to the stellar stellar incredible amazing reports i've heard of her performance first in london and now on broadway and i just it was a privilege to be really in the in the theater i I add my core my my voice to the chorus of people who have wondered aloud how she can possibly do this six times a week um she doesn't do eight but even to do six i don't know even to do Three Uh, to me would be an amazing achievement. And and not just uh, not just her delivery of the songs, but her acting as well. And her whole stage presence. She's she's absolutely electric. Uh, I, I, I would absolutely say this is more than worth seeing if only for her. She's not the only good thing about it, but she is the be- the best thing about it. And, but by the way, if you go on Wednesday or Saturday matinees, uh, the person you will see is, I'm going to try to pronounce this correctly, Nkeki Obimeleque. And I have not seen her or, or, and have not spoken to anyone who has seen her, but I can only imagine that, <laughs> that she's up to the challenge as well, because it's a, it's a massive role. The, um, there 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 are two uh people who play tina in this show but the uh, there's the person who plays her uh as a very young woman is only uh in just the, the the beginning of the show and then comes on briefly thereafter it's it's not a case like the donna summer show or the Cher show where you had uh three people Kind of sharing the role equally. I, I'm I'm glad. I'm I think it was very very smart that they did not go that route. But it is um, it is quite a, a marathon for uh, for Miss Warren because they didn't go that route. Uh, but I think the show is far far better for it. So props to that. Unfortunately, uh, to me the book uh, uh, the. It, the this, this show was – the downfall of this show in terms of quality was the book and the direction. As Peter mentioned, the book is billed as being by Katori Hall with Frank Ketelar and Keese Prince. And I believe what I have read is that originally it was uh, those latter two individuals writing the book and then Katori Hall came in later. Uh, some people have liked her work. I think it's – I think – well – and of course, now we, we, it's hard for us to say who exactly contributed what to the final product, but I, I think it's one of the most abysmal of all of these biomusicals. And, and I have to say, I'm, I'm not surprised in that sense because, uh, again, although many people apparently really liked The Mountaintop, which is the play that Katori Hull wrote about Martin Luther King, I extremely disliked that play. I thought it was a sitcom about Martin Luther King, and I could never understand how anyone... How anyone saw it otherwise uh, to me it was just so obvious that that's what it was so sadly i i was not surprised at that and as for the direction the director is for lloyd who directed mamma mia and also was one of the main architects of mamma mia so i i'm not surprised at the result here uh and and i think it's unfortunate because it's um because they do have this Amazing star, and plus the story of Tina Turner's life is uh, is quite dramatic. Uh, I'm sure many of our listeners know the basic outlines of it. Uh, as Peter mentioned, they do they not only do they not shy away from the physical abuse that uh, Tina receives from her husband Ike Turner, as played by Daniel J. Watts. There is a lot of it in the show. A lot of actual. Well, I mean simulated, but uh, hitting, uh, you know, uh, like smacking in the face and punching. And it's it's very, as Peter said, very, very hard to watch. So they don't shy away from that. But that is in there. And um, I actually haven't checked in. Ike Turner is still with us. Is that correct?
0: I haven't heard it otherwise, but, uh, you know, I don't have my pulse of the world, so. I mean, yeah, I, don't,
1: I don't know if, I, I, you know, and uh, I mean, of course, if it's all true and we have every reason to believe it, then. Um, Turner <laughs> uh, died in 2007. Did he? Oh, OK. Oh, OK. I'm say I wasn't sure. All right. So that explained because I don't know. I don't know. If, not know if they would have been able to show this if he was still with us, although, as I said, I, yeah, there's no reason to believe it's not true, so I'm not suggesting that. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, there, there are lots of other good things about the show, but also lots of other bad things, including the ridiculous level of amplification. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but go for Adrian Warren, and you won't be disappointed.
2: It is stacking up to be a real incredible horse race in that leading actress category in a musical. Oh, yeah you know this is uh adrian warren everybody's raving about how great she is so uh well you know it's november but you know (laughs) certainly we can see through to june what's going to happen at that finish line it's going to be a photo finish (laughs) all right so that is uh tina the tina turner musical uh uh, correct me if I'm wrong. That's also, that played in the West End last, year, uh, last couple mm. of years. Oh, it's, yeah. I think it's yeah, still yeah. there. Yeah. And Adrian Warren was a huge hit over there. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's uh, true as well. So, Peter, uh, mm-hmm. Lincoln Center Theater's uh, White Light Festival is featuring a, uh, uh, a production of Richard Third, which you got over to take a look at. So tell us about Richard Third.
0: Well, this is not at Lincoln Center, even though um, it is part of the Lincoln Center White Light Festival. Um, It's at John Jay College at the Gerald Lynch Theater, which is very far west, um, between um, 10th and 11th Avenues um, in the 50s. And it's a place I've never been to before. It's a very nice, commodious auditorium. <clears throat> but, of course, the, uh, the real uh, <laughs> uh, important thing is whether or not this production of Richard III is worthwhile. And, my, is it ever. And it certainly is because of Aaron Monaghan playing Richard III. Uh, he plays it, um, well, uh, whether or not it's historically accurate, Shakespeare decided to give Richard a hump and, um, and have him crippled. And so most of the show, he is uh, holding two sticks um, two canes on which he walks. It's very, very compelling as time goes on when, uh, he needs to be in front of the public that he either uses one stick or no sticks at all. Um, and one has to wonder exactly how much of an affliction this is. If he has to be strong and brave about it, there's often been talk about the fact that John F. Kennedy, uh, was very, very ill during his administration and he used to have to suck it up and, um, and be strong, uh, because his back was killing him. So, um, that came to mind though. Another president will come to mind while you're watching this, Richard the third, uh, because this is a, 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 sneaky manipulative guy. And, um, to say the least, I mean, no sooner does he have, um, a man killed that he's wooing, uh, his widow. And that's lady Anne, uh, the way you find out that she, uh, has a dead husband is pretty effective. And <laughs> something one has, I've never seen in Richard the third. And, um, I go back a long way with Richard III when Al Pacino was doing it back in the 70s. So um, the entrance uh, of... Um Siobhan Cullen with this, um, uh, with, uh, her husband is uh, pretty effective. And, um, there is, is Richard, you know, giving her all these good reasons why he should be her next husband. You know, I mean, the audacity of this is incredible. So, um, but anyway, Aaron Monahan is just magnificent. And the point is because he is, um, uh, has this disability, um, he walks, on one foot, uh, the way we all walk, but the other foot he actually has always in a position of uh, a tiptoe so to speak, and boy that must be so hard to do, especially because Richard is not a short play ironically enough, it was the show I saw after The Inheritance, so in a 29 hour span (laughs) I was in the theater for 10 hours uh, because this is more than 3 hours as well, uh, because Richard is hardly a short play, so um, what's really uh, quite impressive is that marie mullen is in this now marie mullen has made one broadway appearance in one broadway appearance period and that was in the beauty queen of linan Sadly, that was 20 years ago it's hard to believe that but it is and she plays queen margaret who's getting on in years and um and she has uh, certainly her um issues with uh with richard and um but the real Real uh, contest that um, happens is between Queen Elizabeth and Richard. Um, They have a scene in the second act, and of course, I'm using second act in the modern sense because Shakespeare plays tend to be five acts. I'm telling you, um, the way Gary Hines directs it, I mean, the stakes get increasingly higher with each line of dialogue it's as if you start just for the sake of argument at one percent and then queen margaret talks and um it's two percent i'm sorry queen elizabeth talks and it's two percent and then three percent and then ten percent and then fifteen percent the way it escalates is just amazing and this for this scene alone it would be worth seeing Richard the Third. Now it's only here till November 23rd, and there aren't that many performances left. But if you've never seen Richard the Third, or if you've ever seen Richard the Third, now's the time to go. I also have to say that um, the costumes are really quite wonderful, as you expect in a Shakespeare production, which is done traditionally. This is not modern dress, but there's one costume that Richard wears towards the ends of the show that is just dazzling beyond belief after he's become king, uh, which he's certainly worked hard to do. Um, the robe that he has is, is one of the most striking uh, costumes that I've seen in a long, long time. So uh, even that makes it spectacular. Yes, it's played basically against um, three uh, blank uh, walls, so the set isn't something that will knock your eyes out. But considering what this play is about and the ruination, and how um, we have uh, certainly people in power who abuse that power, uh, this play is very, very timely, and um, that's pretty impressive for a play that was written you know, quite some time ago. So a uh, terrific production, um, Aaron Monahan, uh worth seeing, and maybe the performance of the year. So, uh, of course, anybody who plays Richard had better be good, and anybody who plays Richard uh, in any wonderful capacity is going to uh, certainly get applause and a standing ovation at the final curtain um, as if you know, people at at this performance were as if they had electric cattle prods uh, shoved into their behinds the way they got up so quickly uh, when he uh, came out because uh, – and again, that's partly the part, but you've got to be up to the part, and certainly Aaron Monaghan is. So um, while this is the 14th production of Richard the 3rd I've seen, I think it may very well be the best. And again, I saw Al Pacino. All right. So uh,
2: that is um, Richard. For- richard the third and it's got a strange performance schedule and i'm going to put the performance schedule in the show notes at broader so that you can find uh, a link quickly over to see uh w- which performances are left i think they have uh about a week left it's looking like here and this is from the druid theater over in ireland that uh that that production is imported from broadway radio is being brought to you by listeners like you patrons who support us at patreon.com broadwayradio broadway radio that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash broadway radio when you support broadway radio you will get the benefit of early access to our broadcast before anyone else Financial support for Broadway Radio will help us continue to bring our broadcast to you through 2020 and beyond. Once again, that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash Broadway Radio to become a supporter. So, Michael, you got over to the New York Philharmonic uh, to listen to some great musicians' uh, take on, on music, and we had a twist here. So explain what the unexpected twist was when you were sitting in the audience.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't think that I would... Uh, need to report on this evening for our show because I didn't think there was going to be any theater connection, but it's so funny. Uh, it was Thursday the 14th and the Philharmonic conducted by Santu Matthias Ruvali played three pieces. One was Tchaikovsky's Romeo and Juliet Overture Fantasy which is one of my absolute favorites. Um, Sibelius's Symphony Number no. 1 Uh, I'm also a Sibelius fan, so I was pleased to be there. Uh, This was an invitation by my friend Kevin McInerney, who has a subscription to the Philharmonic, and sometimes he invites me, and I'm always happy to go. Uh, But the third piece was a new piece called Wires. Uh, written in 2016, and this is billed as the New York premiere, and the composer is Bryce Dessner. And I'm sitting there reading the name, and I'm like, why is that name so familiar? And I didn't get a chance to actually look at his bio until uh, after the performance, and then I realized that he was—he is the co-author of the music for this unfortunately very dissatisfying production of Cyrano that's currently playing off-Broadway, the the new group. Uh, He wrote the music with Aaron Dessner, which I believe is his brother, and uh, the lyrics are by Matt Berninger and Karen Besser for Cyrano, uh, which on that note, uh, P.S., in in regard to what Peter was just saying, uh, talking about Richard III, uh, this Cyrano stars Peter Dinklage, whom I saw as Richard the Third some years ago, and I thought that that was one of his crowning moments on stage, uh, largely because he was doing actually Richard the Third, you know, the wonderful, wonderful play by Shakespeare, not a not a very dissatisfying musical adaptation of it as this Cyrano is. Uh, so I was, I thought that was quite a coincidence that this Bryce Dessner, whom I had never heard of before, uh, and now here I was seeing a new musical by him and a new classical piece within the space of a week. Uh, I'm happy to say that the classical piece uh, was far more successful. It, as I say, was called Wires, and um, it had a very... uh, Intentionally metallic sound to it. Very, very interesting sonorities in the orchestra. Um, n- not terribly melodic, but uh, but very spiky and very interesting. Some some of it was melodic. Uh, the, one of the principal instruments for for the piece is electric guitar, which you certainly don't uh, hear very often in a in a symphony context. So uh, so that is my report on that that uh, that I found that piece a lot more enjoyable than the music for Cyrano which I, I did not and I just was struck by that coincidence
2: well it uh, gives us hope that maybe he'll, he'll loop back to theater and write something else
1: <laughs> we'll see
2: <laughs> uh, so I have a link to the uh, New York Phil website and this specific thing uh, and it's got a little section on Bryce Dessner here uh, the piece that he wrote is called "Wires," and it was the New York premiere. Uh, and interesting, they have the uh, they they have a, a sample of the music from uh, Tchaikovsky and Sibelius, but not the uh, Bryce Dessner
1: piece. But... Oh well, that might that might well be a copyright issue. No, That's true. All right. Well,
2: he, he's the uh, author, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a strange laws that we have
1: here in the United States for copyright. <laughs> no, but also I suspect maybe that he uh, the piece has not been recorded yet, and they, you know, they it's it's oh, not always easy point, for them yeah. to to have an excerpt from a live performance because of union rules. Sure, absolutely. So that might be it. Yeah.
2: All right. So uh, that wraps it up for our reviews today. Before we get on to trivia, we forgot to answer our trivia question at the top of the show because we were so excited mm-hmm. about cast albums mm-hmm. 54 <laughs> Below. Uh, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front mm-hmm. page of This There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. iHeartRadio plays us. TuneIn plays us. Stitcher plays us. Google Play. Google Play plays us, and anywhere that you can listen to or find a podcast, you can get Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
0: Well, the question was, what do these shows have in common? Call Me Madam, Mr. President, Follies, Godspell, Over Here, Starting Here, Starting Now, Ain't misbehaving in a class act. And the answer is that each one of them has a quad libit. Now, that term may be unfamiliar to some um, listeners out there. So that's where you have a song, and then somebody sings another part of the song, and then you put both of them together. Uh, Call Me Madam has that in You're Just in Love, Mr. President with Empty Pockets and a Heart Full of Love. Follies You're Gonna Love Tomorrow <clears throat> with Love Will See Us Through, you hear... You're going to love yeah. tomorrow first. You love will see us through, and then you hear them both together. Uh, Godspell has All for the Best. Over here has My Dream for Tomorrow. Starting Here, Starting Now has One Step. Ain't Misbehaving, Lounging at the Waldorf, and a class act Gauguin's Shoes. So um, you know who Janicki was the first to get it, followed by <laughs> Brigadood. <laughs> Brigadude, Albert Fine, and Susan Forster. Not Sutton Foster, Susan Forster. Like E.M. Forster, in fact, same thing. All right, now this week's question should be easier because it deals with a current show. So there are 36 shows playing on Broadway right now, and uh, so one of them uh, will be part of the answer to this question. So here's the question. A few decades back, there was a show at a Broadway theater, the name of which rather describes the contents of a show that's currently playing at that same exact theater, what's the show from long ago that describes the show that's playing right now at the same theater?
2: Okay, if you have an answer to that, uh, email us at trivia@broadwayradio.com. At we'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's this week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
0: What is this I'm saying? What is this I'm feeling?
2: Like I'm getting
1: drunk, looking in her eyes. Overwhelming face, utterly appealing. Never mind the truth, never mind the lies, never mind the thought in the world. Except love can't happen quite so quickly. Now I'm filled with no one but her.